Hello, this is Clive Tempest speaking. At the beginning of September 2020, and with six months now into the great pandemic that has changed everything, apparently, for the global community. But has it? Has it really changed anything very much? really significantly changed anything? This is episode 10 of the podcast series that I started about a month after we first got the news that the the virus had escaped from China and was spreading closer and closer towards us here in England, in Europe, And then, of course, the States, South America, Australia, India, and everywhere. We've been through isolation and lockdown. We've been through uncertainty, not knowing what was going to happen, not being able to predict what was going to happen. We faced that insecurity to a degree. And then came the frustration that built up on that experience and the release of that frustration around the world in various social movements, protests, on the streets, And these continue. And in smaller gatherings, private parties where there was no concern for social distancing. And now we get to the point where somehow or other the world has to go on, more or less as it did before. The children go back to school. Employers are encouraging their workers and employees and office workers to return to work, to commute into the cities, to fill the restaurants and the hotels with holiday-making, with fun and entertainment, except that the theatres are not open, except that There are masks to be worn when you go out into public places or onto trains or buses. Except that you can't guarantee that if you fly off to a sunny place for your holiday that you won't face some sort of penalty, make some sort of sacrifice. So what have we learnt from the isolation, from the social distancing, from the living with the uncertainty, with the frustration that we can't have what we want, we can't go and do what we wanted to do. What have we learned? 
Now, if you've been listening to my podcasts, or you know my work and what I talk about, you'll know that I set these sort of events in a, in a bigger picture that concerns the evolution of consciousness on this planet. And I aim to relate that bigger picture to the individual circumstances of your lives. So whatever we've learnt individually, there has to have been some lesson for the collective, for the community. Something instigating, promoting that next step in the evolution of consciousness that I foresee coming, that indeed has to come. Change has to come, doesn't it? Or are you quite content with the world as it is, with your life as it is, with yourself as you are? You know, in the evolution of consciousness, on the, in the biggest of all pictures, I speak about the eras or ages that we are passing through. From the earliest days, when our life was about emerging from the natural world that we sprang from into a, a society, a civilization, a period when we were gaining experience of what it is to be human. And then we moved from that experience to question, to question what this world is about and what our place is in this world, and how big the world is. We had to explore it. We had to go about and understand what this life is about. And so we, we started to interpret for ourselves what this life is about by telling ourselves stories in the age of myth. And gradually we learnt that in order for the story to be really meaningful, we have to believe in it. And our myths became religions. And for centuries, we lived a religious life, if we were at all concerned with what this life is about. And then, the belief led to doubt, because, you see, a belief means we don't know what we're talking about. We don't really know. So we entered an age of doubt, and we doubted ourselves. And because we doubted ourselves, we, didn't, we questioned ourselves, we created what I call the age of psychology. And we've increasingly been living these psychological lives thinking about ourselves and thinking about 
how we fit in to the society and thinking about life in general and what our purpose here might be. And that led us into more and more confusion because we still didn't know. And instead of belief in God, we still had belief that it was a belief in ourself, ourselves, or in a self. And now I say, we're on the cusp of a great change into a new era where we can live more consciously. That means knowing what we're doing without having to think about it. Being able to live a life without problems, without stress, without anxiety, because we're not neurotically obsessed with our attitudes to other people and to our own selves. Now the evolution of consciousness is instigated by, is moved on by, is spurred by changes in the situation. It's the same for our own individual lives. There are changes in our situation as we individually evolve, as we move from the innocence of our infancy to gain more and more experience and then start to find things to believe in and then have to consolidate those beliefs with our attitudes and our ambitions until we come to a point in our own personal evolution where our belief in ourself is doubted and we may get depressed or go through some sort of life change. There'll be some pressure on us to make us doubt that our belief in ourselves is valid. And we start to question and then move into older age benefiting from our experience and knowing ourselves. So we no longer have to believe because we know what we know. Or we become wise, wise to who we are, wise to what's going on. And we can, if we are conscious enough, live out the rest of our lives relatively stress-free, without anxiety, free of all that psychological pressure that we've been through because it's time that we changed. As it is for the individual, so it is for the collective. And we're approaching this time of change but it's, of course, it's not going to happen overnight. But the situation is what instigates change. A change in the situation means we have to adapt to it. Adaptation is a prerequisite of evolution. Adaptation leads to mutation. 
And as we adapt to the changing circumstances of the world we find ourselves in, so there are neurological changes in the brain, a mutation of the brain, a neurological change in the collective, in the species. Now, what does that mean for the individual? It means that if you respond rightly to the pressure of the circumstances of the situation, there will be a neurological change. If you change your behavior, that is your response to the situation, your brain will eventually adapt and you will serve your own individual evolutionary process and in doing so you serve the evolutionary process of the collective. Pressure in the situation instigates change. But we have to respond. And how do we respond? What is it in us that responds? This is a, an intelligent process. The evolution of consciousness is an intelligent process. Intelligence cosmic intelligence, is working with us, working with the matter of the earth to produce consciousness, to produce a frequency of intelligence that knows, that knows, that can become wise to what's going on in the bigger picture of life itself. And the more we make a conscious connection between our own intelligence and the great intelligence, we call it God, the more we advance our own evolution and that of the collective. This used to be called a spiritual process. I don't use the word spiritual now. Or if I do, it's rare. I used to use the word spiritual, my spiritual life, as, as a way of marking a change from that time of religion through the psychological towards a more conscious way of being. It was a word that I used and others use to speak about the divine while stripping away anything too religious. It was a word that was encapsulating everything that we seek for that is immaterial. Everything that we know to be real but is not manifest in the actual circumstances. Spirit, the word, what does it conjure up? It conjures up in its more archaic usage, 
ghosts, sprites, elementals, energies that are intelligent but don't appear in human flesh. And spirituality is that yearning for something more real, something more essential than even the religions of the world can offer us. Spirit, essence, the essence of our being. Just like whiskey is the spirit, the essence distilled in a barrel, the barrel of our own bodies. And as the as we age and our bodies age, so our essence is distilled from our experience and from our knowledge. And you could say, well that's that's what I mean by my spiritual being. But let's move on. Let's move on to a more conscious, more aware, simpler expression. A simpler way of explaining ourselves to ourselves. I am intelligent and I am conscious as I am awake here speaking. I am intelligent and I am guided by my own intelligence. There is a guiding intelligence in me. It is not an angel, although it might have looked like one if I believed in angels. It is a guiding intelligence in me that directs my steps, that leads me forward. And it's leading me towards a greater and greater awareness of what this world is and what the truth of it is so that I become more and more conscious as I become more and more aware of the bigger picture of life's mysteries. And that's what this world is about. It's what this world is for. It's a demonstration a demonstration of the work of intelligence. And that intelligence is in everything. And it's also hidden in the situation, if only we can see it. But while we are still living a psychological life, preoccupied with ourselves, with thinking, with trying to work things out, with the rejection of mystery in favour of the rational, we can't, we can't detect it. We can't detect what's really going on. We can't be, in, we're not able to be in touch consciously with our own guiding intelligence. So what is this current situation telling us? That period of isolation that period of, which continues as self, uh, as what's it called, um, social distancing, it tells us that 
As part of the change from the psychological age to a more conscious way of living, we have to become more aware of ourselves as an individual and more capable of living as an individual free of dependency. I, the intelligence, am evolving towards a greater and greater being as an individual. For I am always individual. I, the intelligence I am, in this body, represented by the vertical alignment of my body between the earth and the sky. I am that energetically before I come into matter and before I recognize myself as a body, before I recognize myself as a personality, acquiring one identity after another until I cast them aside because they are too full of doubt and uncertainty. In this process of living with uncertainty, I have to see what is most real for me. What is most of most value to me? I have to know how to stand against the pressure that the world is putting upon me. I will not find my security in certainty. That's a psychological effort to find your security in certainty. If you live a more conscious life, your security is found in uncertainty. Because you cannot rely on anything, you cannot trust anything except the knowledge of the truth that I am. And I only am conscious of that truth when I am standing my ground, when I am here on the earth, standing against the pressure of the situation. So we moved through that period of lockdown and isolation and through uncertainty into frustration, into the need to release that frustration. And there were protests on the streets and when the people protest, whatever they're protesting about, they're always protesting about some form of injustice. And we've seen how the police in America murdered that black man, George Floyd. And it's happened again only last week or the week before. And it keeps happening. And it's not just in America that the authoritarian in the human being takes advantage of the weak, takes advantage of difference, the difference between us, exploits it in the way that uh, President Trump, in his effort to secure his authority coming up 
to the presidential election in a couple of months' time. Exploits difference. The people resent it, while at the same time, because of the psychological structure that we live within, in the society and in ourselves, at the same time, perversely, we cannot stop ourselves exploiting it. We always want to look for difference when we're being psychological. In the conscious life, we see unity, not difference. But nothing's really changing out there in the world. It's still very unjust. It's getting worse. The privileged against the dispossessed. Now, there's not much the individual can do except observe what's happening and look inside, inside yourself, inside myself, to see where I perpetrate, where I perpetuate injustice. How do we deal with isolation? Well, we deal with it by knowing ourselves as true individuals able to stand our ground against the pressure of the times. How do we deal with uncertainty? Well, we have to resist the temptation to think about our situation. Resist the temptation to enter psychologically, our belief systems, to believe in this or that. There is nothing to believe in if you know what you're doing and what you're dealing with. Stick to the facts. And we see, as soon as um, the pandemic started to make itself felt. What did we see in the social media? One conspiracy theory after another. One hoax after another being called out. Or not being called out, being spread. Falsehoods. A perverse reaction in the psychological life, indicating, actually, that the intelligence is working to undermine belief, unfortunately substituting a perverse belief for a normalised belief. So normalised belief might be, ah, we'll get a vaccine. For this virus. With a perverse belief that is perpetrated or spread, oh, there's no such thing as a virus, you know. It's all got up, it's a hoax by big pharmaceutical companies wanting to make a lot of money. Or there'll be a belief that somehow or another this is, uh, this pandemic is a, a way that uh, 
secret underground forces are manipulating, manipulating us. You see, one belief substituted for another belief. But that's all part of the, the game that intelligence is playing. Really, it's all about undermining belief itself. So you deal with this by working out what your dependencies are, by sticking to the facts of the situation, by being true to what I am in this body as an intelligence, by resisting the frustration and the need to release that frustration, and by accepting the pressure, the pressure of the times. Now we've reached the point where people are gladly and happily talking about finding the new normal. The new normal? New normal? Isn't that a contradiction in terms? What they mean is that they're going to adapt themselves. Well, there can be no normality for the individual except what I find to be right for me in the unique circumstances of my life. And that becomes my norm. But I don't share that normality with others because my life's unique to me. What people mean when they say they're looking for the new normal is that they're willing to adapt. They're willing to adapt. As I said before, adaptation is a prerequisite of evolution. Now, adaptation comes on the back of pressure. We don't change, we human beings. We're so fixated on the normal, on the familiar. It's very difficult to get us to change without pressure. Well, where does pressure come from? Well, it comes from the situation here, now, in the circumstances. But what, what's intelligence doing? How does intelligence work through the situation to put the pressure on us to adapt, to mutate, to evolve. Well, there are three main agencies that intelligence uses to promote change, real change. When I say real change, I mean the change towards more reality, more appreciation and perception of what is real, what is most real for us. Or if you like, most spiritual. What is most real for us? Where, are, where am I most conscious? Three agencies. The first is death. When death is near, we are faced with reality. Reality emerges when we no longer put our trust in existence continuing. Well, Let's look at the situation. 
we were faced with the threat of death, particularly people my age, in my 70s, with pre-existing health conditions. The young, the young can, can avoid death. They've got their whole lives to live, or so they think. And while the top news item in March, April, May, with how many deaths there'd been, and in the local news, how many deaths there had been in the local hospital. Now, on the new normal, hmm, we've gone back to pushing it aside, driving past the cemetery without looking, seeing the church but not the graveyard, denying the possibility that death might come knocking on the door. Oh, but we, we've gone back to the normal. It doesn't affect us. Death is one of the most, the energy of death, the presence of death, is one of the, the agencies that intelligence uses to promote real change. Then comes truth. Truth. In the first instance, that's facing up to the situation. You have to change if you have no alternative but to face up to the situation. And the truth is what we all agree to be the truth of the situation. Such as death. It is the truth that we all die. And then the third agency that intelligence uses, particularly more so as we evolve into a more and more conscious way of being, the third agency is love. Real love is an energy that changes us. And anyone who has ever known love really known it, knows that it changes you. So the pressure comes on us through death, through pandemics, through plagues in the olden days. The pressure comes on us through truth, through facing up to the situation as it is the situation that cannot be denied because it affects all of us, because it's our collective experience. And you could say that truth has been the main agency of change in the psychological age, whereas death was the main agency of change before. And love is going to be the main agency of change in times to come. Of course, they all work together. I'm just painting the picture with a broader brush there. The truth. 
is very hard to find when you are being psychological. But it cuts through all the same. It cuts through. And if I'm speaking the truth, I'll be cutting through your psychological self. The old brain cells will be reorganizing themselves according to the truth I speak, if you hear it as the truth. And if you hear any love in me, any passion for the truth, then that itself will engage you and direct you towards more consciousness, a more conscious way of being. And this pressure that is on us from the situation is adapting all of us to change. How do we handle pressure? Whatever the pressure is, how do we handle it? Well, we handle it with death, truth and love. Death, we have to be prepared to sacrifice something. We have to be willing to lose. We have to be willing to lose our achievements. We have to be willing to drop our attitudes. We have to be willing to give up our preoccupation with ourselves and our stories. We have to stop believing in the old and the familiar. We have to be willing to sacrifice to bring about a change, to adapt. Death. Truth. We have to be able to resist thinking about things as we wish to see them, as they should be or they shouldn't be. We have to accept the truth into us, into our lives, and reject what we prefer, what we like, what doesn't suit us. We have to accept it as it is. I am this intelligence in this body as it is right now, here, now, in this place. And that's the truth. It's the truth for you, too. For anyone. And love. How do we handle pressure? Well, we resort to love. What do I love most? How can I value something less than what I love most? I'm willing to sacrifice what I don't love as much as I love my life, for example. I'm willing to accept the truth if I love the truth enough. I'm willing to adapt to what is required of me if I'm giving enough, if I'm kind enough, if I'm loving enough. So to handle any form of pressure, we have to adapt to the changing situation by being willing to lose, by resisting the desire to work out explanations, to think it out, to think our way through and just accept that everything will be worked out 
regardless of what we think about it. And finally, we have to know what we love. Now I said those three things, death, truth, love, are agencies of intelligence. The one intelligence that's in all of us seeking to make itself conscious in us as individuated intelligence. And I mentioned earlier that there is a guiding intelligence in all of us. This is a fragment of the one intelligence, this guiding intelligence that moves us forward individually towards a more conscious life that led us into the psychological life and is now leading us out of it. If only we will stop thinking about ourselves and valuing ourselves and loving ourselves more than we love life itself. This intelligence, this guiding intelligence, works in us very subtly. And because we live such psychological lives, it has to work in us subconsciously. And how does it do that? It presents us with little signs, little clues, every so often, that if we were only able to de detect what was happening, we would recognise these signs as indicators that we're on the right track towards a more conscious life. These signs come to us very subtly. They come in dreams. They come in coincidences. They come in deja vu. They come in, in all kinds of mysterious ways. Synchronicity. Coincidence. That chance meeting with somebody who just steers you in the right direction. Now this... Activity that goes on in us subconsciously while we live a psychological life. This activity that directs us to the reality, to the mystery behind the rational world. This I call Mr. Gogus or Miss Gogus. The Gogus energy. I just choose to call it that name. It's a kind of pun. It's a silly thing. But I, I use that. I use that word. I use the energy in it, Gogus. It's pushing us to go further into the mystery of our lives. To see what's really happening. For each individual in the bigger picture of life's mysteries. And I I speak often about these things and not in the podcasts, but in other things that I have written and spoken about. The more consciously you live your life, the more you invite the guiding intelligence to come out of the subconscious where it can only operate as the Gogus energy, and harness, be harnessed to the moment-by-moment -moment living of my life, 
so that everything is known that needs to be known, so that everything is provided that needs to be provided at any time. I don't know if you've noticed during the uh, last six months of the pandemic, I don't know if you've noticed that there might have been more examples of what we may call coincidences, synchronicities, even telepathic intuitions of what's taking place in other people. And this is, this is part of the, the shift in consciousness that's going on. You might have noticed it in your own life. More prevalence of this kind of things that just fall into place without you having to work them out. Well, look for it. Notice. Notice it. This is part of the movement of the intelligence through the subconscious. It's a kind of collective version, if you like, of the, the individuated action of the gogus energy in a person. And it tends to take place at times of change, at times of social change. You, you know, the last time that there was a major shift in the evolutionary process was uh, around the time of the European Renaissance. And that was a time when what was then called the um, magical was, was more accepted and uh, utilised, utilised even by politicians and uh, artists, writers. Shakespeare, <laughs> who I have often mentioned in these podcasts. Alchemists, the early scientists. And then again, when the psychological age was really coming into its maturity at the end of the 19th century, again there was a, a reawakening of uh, interest in the so-called occult or, or magical. And uh, when people like the theosophists were, and Alice Bailey, people like that, again, made their impression on the intellectuals, uh, even scientists and artists, poets of the time. And it's happening again now. But it's not happening in the same way. You'll find more and more as we move out of the psychological age, that there will be these signs that appear to those people who are more sensitive. You don't have to necessarily look for them, but if something arises, take notice of it. Don't just dismiss it as irrational. It's coming into your life as a sign from your own inner gogus energy your guiding intelligence working in your subconscious to provoke something, to provoke a little bit more awareness. Not to raise a question, because you won't be able to answer a question, but to just open up a little chink in your perception to help your brain to adapt to the great change that's coming.
So this has been the uh, tenth episode of the podcast that I call Meeting Mr. Gogus. It's the last episode in this present series. But you can listen to these podcasts over and over. People tell me they will always find something new or something different when they listen again. Now I mentioned at the end of the last podcast that I now have an online audio course available, The Course in Conscious Living, and I recommend it to you. This is a 12-month course, and you get a, a talk delivered to you, streamed to you, every two weeks. And we deliver it to you that way, so that you repeatedly get more and more knowledge about what you're dealing with and how to deal with it on a day-to-day basis, how to deal with the pressure, how to link up with the gogus energy in you in a more conscious way so that your evolutionary process accelerates so that your perception gets swifter. doesn't happen overnight. takes work. takes dedication. takes devotion. takes love. Love of it. To really bring about a change. So I recommend it to you. TheCourseInConsciousLiving.com But now... For today, there's no more to say.